Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Seen that yet? That was pretty cool. Um, uh, well, Vision Sunday, that's what we're talking about. You just saw it on the video. So a few weeks ago, Danny and Tim and myself and some others, we, we thought, you know, at the beginning of the year, it'd be good to kind of, um, uh, kind of revisit, what, why did we do this? What is this all about? Um, what's, is this important, what we do? Why do we gather? Um, uh, is there purpose in it? And, and talk about that. And so last week, if you were here, Danny came and shared about um, our vision, how our vision, this, it's very simple. We're, we keep it pretty simple here, if you haven't noticed, we keep it simple. Our, our vision is this, it's to, it's to transform our community by helping people find and follow Jesus. That's it. That's, that's, that's our vision here. It's pretty simple. Um, and he talked about last week about how he, he used the metaphor of the harbor, how um, you know, some people are, some of us are meant to all right, we're, we're purposed to, to fish in local waters, you know. Others are meant to fish way out, way out deep, you know. Um, but, but ultimately, we want our faith community here to be a, a safe harbor for people to, to come in, you know, so we can help the broken and the hurting and, and equip and train and feed, and ultimately to send them back out on mission. And so that's, that's what we're talking about today. And, um, and this is a, an exciting time. I don't know if, how aware you are of this, but I, I'm super aware of this. I feel really excited about this coming year and what it holds because um, for the first time in our over 10-year history at Hope, we have, we have really leaned into the partnership of other churches in our community. We have three churches now. There's Hope in uh, Scotts Valley, Hope here in SoCal, and then the Coastlands and Aptos, and we, we've come together in a way that four square churches in Santa Cruz County have never done before. We're genuinely partnering together um, to see that this mission comes to pass in our county. That's pretty cool. That's, that's actually pretty amazing. Historically, churches don't do well doing that, and so we're, we're, we're doing something, I think, that's different and special and, and pretty amazing. Um, so more on that uh, in the weeks to come, but um, today we're, we're going to, we're visiting the a piece of scripture it comes from Matthew chapter 28. Danny read it last week. I'm going to read it again today. And we refer to this piece of scripture as, we call it the Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission. All right. So, so Jesus, when he would teach, he'd say, he'd say, those that have ears, let them hear. So let's just do a quick check. Reach up. Are they still there? Still there? Just checking. I was just checking. I was just checking. You can just you can bring that down maybe like five percent. I think <clears throat> I'm not a shouter. Don't worry. Um, so those that hear, have ears, let 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 them listen. So let's listen to Matthew chapter 28. This is verse 16 through 20. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app or something you want to, so you have it in your own lap, so you can look. Because we're going to look at this. We're going to look at it. We're going to take our time and look at this. Um, we'll also have it up on the screen as well. So this is Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Um, Jesus says, he gathered his disciples, right? So this is the setup. He had, he had already died on the cross, and he had been resurrected. They'd seen him alive, and he had done more signs and miracles. 
Um, and he had taught the word, and then this was his final moment with them. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, that little phrase there sitting right in the middle of this really important... Because you've probably heard this passage of Scripture dozens and dozens of times. The Great Commission, we read it all the time. But some doubted. It said they worshipped him, but some doubted. What were they doubting? I mean, at this point, these 11... I mean, we're talking about Peter and James and John and Andrew and Nathaniel. These, these men and women, they're not named here, but these men and women had been following Jesus for three years. They'd seen him do amazing things. They'd seen fish and bread multiplied. They'd seen people rise from the dead. They'd seen Jesus murdered weeks before, and they saw him come back to life. They saw him walk into a room right through the walls. You know, they saw him multiply fish again. I mean, you know, so... so are they doubting? What are they doubting? Are they doubting that he is the Messiah? I, I don't really think so. At this point, they've had all the evidences and proof that you could possibly have. In fact, it says they worshipped him. So it's not, it's not who he is they're doubting, I believe. It's themselves. They can tell. This is the last moment. He's, he's getting ready to go. And they're looking around. They're going, there, there's like 11 of us, you know? You're leaving. We thought it would be bigger by now, you know? Their doubt is the very same one that we experience. Who am I? Have you ever thought that? In light of what Jesus says and who he is, and you go, I I think this. This is a doubt that I wrestle with is, who am I? Who am I? Is is this really your plan, Jesus, to use me? There's got to be someone better, right? They worshipped him, some doubted. So it's, I wanted to frame that because it's important to remember, we don't talk about this a lot, but the Great Commission, the what it is. So he says this, then Jesus came to them, and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Bible speak, when you say heaven and earth, you just mean all of it, all of it. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and, actually, I'm not going to finish that. We're going to skip over for just a second. We're gonna, he tells them to do three things, right? And we're going to complete the thought. Sometimes when you read a passage of Scripture, it's good to look at the beginning and the end so you get the complete thought and then unpack the middle, right? So he says, All heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and do some things we're going to talk about in a second. But he finishes it out by saying, and surely I am with you always. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if he had just said, and surely I'm with you always, it would be easy for us 2,000 years on from this moment to read this and go, that's so cool that Jesus told these 11 and maybe a few others that he would be with them. And he probably was. That's, that's really cool. But he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Are those 11 still around? Are, have you met any of them recently? No. Are we at 
Are we at the end of the age yet? Is it all over? No? Do you see the sky rolling up like a scroll? No? Okay, so we're not at the end yet, right? Is he still with us? Is he still with us? He's speaking to us. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's to us, right? Okay. All right, so that's the setup. So, so what did he tell them to do? He told them to do three things. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I commanded. Right? The one we want to talk about today is discipling. It's, you know, baptizing is, you know, it's dunking in water. It's a, it's a public expression of faith. It's like, I'm committed to this now. You all saw me. I, I went under the water and I came up and I'm, I'm in it now. That's, it's a public expression of faith. And it's good. We should do that. And teaching them to, that's, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching. I'm teaching what Jesus said, right? But it's this other one, discipling. He says, disciple all nations. This word disciple, it carries with it some baggage. There, there's some words in the Bible that if we're honest, I mean, you know, this is 2,000 years on now. It's picked up a little baggage along the way, right? We can be honest. I mean, the reality is if you go to church and you hear the word disciple, you probably have, it's, it's not uncommon for people to go to a church and have the impression that, you know, I go to this church and there's, there's probably like six to ten like really special people and they do all the stuff and the rest of us just come to church, right? Right? I mean, come on. If you're being honest, like you've probably, maybe not this church, but you've been in a church where that was the impression you got. You come and it's like, there's like a handful of people and they do all the stuff and they do things like the disciple, you know, whatever that is, and, um, and the rest of us come to church, right? That's the kind of baggage this word has. Another, another bit of baggage it has is I think that people have the impression that discipling is someone with authority telling someone with less authority what to do. Here's how you should live your life. Here's, here's the things you should do. Don't do this and don't do that. That that's somehow discipling. But it's not. It's so much more beautiful and complicated than that. So, so let's take the next just 15 minutes and let's, let's take the word disciple and let go of our preconceived notions about Can we do that? You do that every time you sit down to watch a movie or a television show. You, you suspend your disbelief and you just embrace the idea that this is really happening. So I think we can do that with the word discipleship, okay? Can we do that? All right. So first, let me... Let me talk about the word for a, se a second. So the word, so every time you find in the Gospels the word disciple or discipleship, it, it's a noun. It's a noun. It's a Greek word, mathetai. It's a noun. It's a description of a, a person. It means learner is what it means. So there's if a person could be a disciple like a person could be a plumber, right? It's a description. It's a noun, right? All 109 times you find it in the Gospels, that's the case. It's a, it's a noun. Except for one place. Except for one place. And it happens to be right here where we just read it, in Matthew 28. It's not a noun, it's a verb. Everywhere else, it talks about disciples like a description of a person. But here, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, if you translated it as a verb in English, it would be disciple all the nations. It's an action. This is part of us letting go of the baggage of the word. Is, is we, we need to stop thinking about this as 
a description of a kind of a person that others out there need to become. Oh, those people, those people need to be disciples, right? Instead, it's an action that only the kind of person that we are supposed to be can perform. Does that make sense? It's an action. It's not, it's not they should be disciples. It's we should be discipling whatever that might look like. Now let's talk about what that looks like, okay? So this Greek word, mathetai, this noun, disciple, it's only found in the New Testament. It's not in the Old. It was a new concept when this was written. And, and just a few hundred years after Jesus, you can see that this concept gets distorted and blurred and begins to pick up all the baggage that we know it does today. So there was this brief window into history where Jesus walked this earth and used this term, and it meant something. And I want us to recapture what that means. We know at face value the word literally means learner. So you know how a lot of times in the gospel stories, you, you read these stories and people refer to Jesus, they, go, they refer to him as what? As rabbi, right? Rabbi, which means teacher. The implication, if there's a teacher, is that there would be students, or they call them learners, mathetai, disciples, rabbis, disciples, right? This was an existing social structure. This was very common. It was very common for people, for, for teachers to rise up and, and become rabbis and for people to follow them and to learn from them, right? And so, and everybody would contribute financially to the teacher so they didn't have to work. So all they did was study all day long so then they could teach as a full-time job. This is a very common existing social structure. We don't have this social structure really anymore, not, not like the way they did, okay? So we have to look at this social structure, and what Jesus does is he takes it, and he commandeers it, and he, he turns it into something else. He makes it, um, he makes it into something else. So it might be helpful, I thought, if we begin to think more three-dimensionally about what he transformed this existing social structure into. Instead of thinking of the word discipleship or disciple, maybe what we want to do is rethink this word and use other words instead to describe it, right? What was Jesus doing when he told us to go and disciple all the nations? He's teaching us a new way to build community. It's a new way to build community. Go out into all the nations and build community. And by the way, just as a side note, who's left out when we say all the nations? Who's excluded from that proposition? Who's excluded? Who's on the outside when we say all the nations? Nobody. Nobody. That's right. Make community of who? Everybody. Everybody. No one is left out. No one is left out. Another way of thinking about this, this word, discipleship, in a three-dimensional way, is family. Jesus wants to, us to rethink the way we think about family. We think of family as our, our brothers and our sisters and our aunts and our uncles and mothers and fathers that we're physically related to by blood, right? Jesus wants us to rethink that, redefine it, and realize that we live in a human family. You can make family by the way you relate to other people. And remember, let's remind ourselves, who's excluded from that proposition? Nobody. 
Who can we make family with? Everyone, right? I, I love, I've, I'm always so touched when I read the passage of Scripture when, when Jesus is on the cross. And as far as we know, there's only one of the disciples that was present, and that's John. He was there. And as he's dying, he, he thinks of his mother, who now doesn't have a husband and doesn't have a son to take care of her. And, and he turns to John, and what does he say? He says, this is your mother now. Take care of my mom. And John, that's your, that's your mother now. Family. Rethink the way we do family, right? And lastly, I think he wants us to rethink. Rethink the way we think about making friends. Who are our friends? Think about your friends. You have some close friends. You have some more like acquaintance friends, right? He's telling us to go out into all the nations and make friends. And who is the pool, the group of people that we're to make friends from? Everyone. That's right. We're getting it. All right. So there's this beautiful story in John chapter 1, right in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, um, where Jesus does exactly what we're talking about. So I thought, let's see how he did it. Let's look and see how he did it. It's pretty incredible. Here, here's a story where he goes out, and this is before he had gathered his, his friends, his family, his community around him. Um, it's as he's beginning to, uh, to do that in the early stages. So it says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, this is another John. It's not talking about the, um, the, the disciple, the apostle John. It's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had disciples of his own, right? Learners, followers. John was there with two of them. And it says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. That sounds kind of normal to us because we've read these things, but that, as far as we know, that's the first time anybody used that phrase, and that would have been really strange. Look, the Lamb of God. And people went, what? <laughs> and two of his disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. They said, let's find out what that means, and they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? That's a fair question. What do you want? You're following me. And they said, Rabbi, which we know means teacher. They said, they said um, where are you staying? Can we just acknowledge that that's a dumb question? That's a dumb question. But I, I, it's relatable, too, because they, something about Jesus captivated them. They had this existing social structure they were in. They were followers. They were already learners. Then John says something really strange. Look, there's the Lamb of God, and something inside them stirs, and they begin walking after him. And when Jesus asks, hey, what are you guys doing? They can't think of anything else to say. So they go, I, I, where, where, are you, uh, where are you staying? Where's your house? Can we see where you live? I, I can relate to this. I, so my wife, Amy, and I, we've been together for a long, long time. In fact, we've known each other since middle school. And we, start, we didn't start dating until I was 20, and I think she was 19. Um, but in high school, I was, I was, was kind of into her. I was pretty attracted to her. And, uh, <laughs> yep, I, I like, and I remember this one time. I was, very, I was a very shy and awkward teenager. And I remember this one time being at this kind of, it was like a party thing, or like there was a bunch of kids there. And I remember I was in this room, and I'm like just, just chowing Doritos. I probably had like a 16-year-old Dorito mustache, you know. I was like, ow, ow, you know. And she walked in the room, and I was just like, 
hey, you know, hey. Um, and I remember I, I couldn't think of anything to ask her, so I was like, Af what room are you going to go into after this one? It's a dumb, it's, it's a dumb question. It, it's a dumb question. Where are you saying is a dumb question. That's a dumb question. But listen, listen to the, the kindness and the generosity that Jesus answers that dumb question with. He says, he says, come, come, and you will see. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was homeless. He didn't have a place. So he, he was camping. He was camping out. He lived outside because he was homeless. You know that, right? Okay. All right. Just want to remind you. He says, come and you'll see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, presumably a campsite, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. This is also related to brothers. Uh, my son Andrew's here, and he has a brother. And when you find something really cool when you're a boy, the first thing you do is you run and tell your brother, I found a really deep hole. I found this bug, and it smells so bad, you've got to come see it, you know? So he ran and found his brother, and he said, We have found the Messiah that is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You see what's happening here? Family is beginning. Brothers. Community. Friendships are forming that would last a lifetime. The next day, Jesus decides, oh, he, so he brings him to Jesus. He brings Simon. And, he's, and Jesus says, you are Simon, son of John, but now you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. He renames him. That's what Jesus has done for some of us, isn't that right? We were one kind of person, and someone brought us to Jesus, and now we're another kind of person. Can you relate to that at all? The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, just like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip ran and found his friend, Nathaniel. And he told him this, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And of course, Nathaniel, not having met Jesus, he says something. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was an uh, economically depressed mud hole. Um, tiny little village, didn't even have a synagogue. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And here's how Nathaniel answers him. He says, come and see. There's something there for us. If we can just grasp it, there's something here for us. We think of discipling as something that people with authority do. Maybe it's something that pastors do, people that are learned and experienced. No, this is discipling right here. I, I met Jesus. I don't totally understand what's happening, but there's something amazing happening. You've got to come and see. Anyone can do that with anyone, anytime. If I were sitting where you were sitting, I would probably say amen to something like that. I would say amen to something like that. There we go. All right. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
how, how do you know me? Nathanael asked. That's a fair question. And Jesus answered him, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. There's a lot of debate about what this means, under the fig tree. There's, some people say it's a Hebrew idiom for, it means like, like hungry as a horse. Under the fig tree, it means like you're reading the Torah, reading the word. Or other people connect it to uh, a chapter in Micah, the prophet, where it talks about looking forward uh, to the Messiah. There was, a, there was a phrase in uh, pharisaical rabbinical culture that said, if you stop and you pray and you don't pray for the Messiah, then you haven't had a prayer time at all. So this, there's a bunch of ways to look at it. It could be literally he was just sitting under a fig tree and Jesus saw this and Nathaniel is like blown away by his power of insight. But I, I, I think, in my heart, I think that Nathaniel was under a fig tree praying for Messiah, praying for his people, his oppressed, broken people under the subjugation of an empire and praying for rescue. And what happens? His friend Philip comes and says, come, we found the one that Moses foretold. And when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, here's how Nathaniel responds. He says, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see way better stuff than that. It's going to get way crazier from here, right? Jesus made friends wherever he went. You know, Danny, last week he said that we should go. We should go. But when we get there, what, how do we do this? How, how do we do this? Well, we just saw Jesus do it. Let's talk about how we do it, okay? And I just have four ways I want to point out that we could do it. We can do it like this. We can live I think it takes a, a willingness to live transparently. We have to live openly. Live transparently. Jesus was homeless. He had no place. He slept in the rough. He slept outside. But when they, they asked him, can we come see where, where you're staying? Maybe it's somewhere amazing. The best hotel in town. Or maybe you have a little mini palace or something. He says, no, come and see. Come and see my life. Do you invite people into your life transparently? into your life? Do you let them see the way that you live? He's asking us to do that. He's asking us to live transparently. He's asking us to live transformationally. Every time I trade one of my old, tired, worn-out ideas for one of his good ones, I let one of his God ideas transform me. I change from the inside out. And there's no retirement for transformation. It's not something you do when you're younger or earlier. It, it, you do it until your heart stops beating. We need to live transformationally. Constantly be open to being changed by the power and the presence of God. And we need to love unselfishly. That might seem obvious, but somehow it's not. We, we choose the way we love. We choose whom we love. But he just blew the standard wide open. What does all the nations mean again? Everyone. To love unselfishly is to be open to loving everyone. And that's, that's tricky. That's tricky because it, it causes us to do something. It causes us to, be, to make ourselves vulnerable to being refused. We have to be vulnerable to do that, to love unselfishly. But let's see, who, who modeled that for us? When God gave us free will, the, 
the ability to choose, what did he do? He had to make himself vulnerable for us to refuse him. If he can do that, then certainly we can as well. And last, we have to love interdivisionally. I made that word up. It's not a real word. I made that up for this. I made it up for this. It should be a word, though, interdivisionally. It sounds good, right? There are natural divisions in human culture. That's obvious, right? right? There's natural divisions. There's us, and there's them, and there's so many different versions of that, if you want that. Our love has to transcend those natural divisions. Last, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Tim told that great story about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, right? It's a natural division. Zacchaeus was a pariah, an absolute um, just uh, a person on the fringes of his own society. And Jesus transcended that division easily. And this is not, this is not an um, occasional diversion. This was a common feature of his mission in his life, was to reach to the people on the margins, break down walls, step over divisions. You see it all through the story. How can we do any less than that, right? Let's think about it again. So let's think about the way Jesus wants us to do discipleship. And, and I mean us, all of us here in this room. How are we going to do this? Therefore, go and make disciples. Build friendships. Build community. Build family of all the nations, of all people. This is how disciples became apostles. This is how learners became messengers. This message we carry inside of us, it's not mere information, it's transformation. That's what we carry inside of us. So here's where I want to leave you is with this, these two questions. What does it look like for you to make disciples this week? What does it look like? Will you think about that a little bit? Will you think about it with me? And who, naturally then it leads to this question, who are you going to invite to come and see? Who are you going to invite to come and see? Who's positioned in your life where you can say, would you like to see how I live? It's not perfect. But there's someone perfect at the center. Jesus said this to us in John chapter 20, verse 21. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There's no backup plan, people. We're it. That's why when the 11 at the Great Commission were doubting, they're looking around like, I, we, thought, we thought it would be bigger by now, and you're leaving, you know. There's no backup plan. It's us. It's us. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.